Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. How's everyone doing? So today's episode, I am super excited about. I have with me today, Bill Eddy. If you are in my Facebook group, you have seen me post the screenshot of Bill's latest book, The Biff Method for Co-Parents, over and over and over and over again. (laughs) In answer to so many questions, I simply post the screenshot of the book. And today, Bill is coming on to talk about the BIF method and his book. BIF stands for Brief, Informative, Friendly, and Firm. And this is an incredible communication tool to use in high-conflict cases and, frankly, in all sorts of situations that are not high conflict. It's just simply brilliant. So Bill Eddy is an attorney. He's a therapist. He's a mediator and an author. And he is the founder and chief innovation officer of the High Conflict Institute. So Bill knows conflict. He pioneered the high conflict personality theory and is a leading expert on managing disputes involving people with high-conflict personalities. This man knows what he's talking about. I am so honored to have him on the show this week. And I got to tell you, this was an episode I was looking forward to. I was so excited to be able to spend some time with Bill myself. And I'm even more excited to bring you this episode. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Bill Eddy. Bill Eddy, thank you so much for being here. It is such an honor and a privilege to have you on my podcast. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Let's just start off with your background because it is vast and varied and it sort of leads you to be the absolute perfect person (laughs) to talk about all of this. So what what is your background? So think of me as starting out really as a therapist. I always liked the idea of child and family counseling and and got into that. And as I was doing that work, and I worked in psychiatric hospitals and outpatient clinics, I found I really liked resolving family conflicts and that people often had like a legal issue, like a divorce, or maybe a teenager was in legal trouble or something like that. And so I found I was really drawn to the idea of conflict resolution, not just therapy, but conflict resolution. And so I thought about mediation and mediating, especially like divorce cases out of court using more of a counseling type approach. But I decided that I would go to law school 
to do mediation. And so, so in great. law school, yeah. yeah. So in law school, I found that I really was fascinated by the legal process. And I knew to start my kind of family mediation practice, I should spend at least a couple of years in family court representing clients so I got familiar with what to do. Well, those, those two years in family court turned into 15 years in family court at the same time as I was doing mediation. So I go to court in the morning and do my mediations in the afternoon. And I noticed that the high conflict cases in court had the same issues, but approached them differently. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got into the whole high conflict uh, field. And that's really where I've been the last uh, 20 years. And the last 12 years as co-founder of High Conflict Institute, and developing methods to try to help people, again, stay out of court as much as possible. Yes. I love it. I love it. I, I love that you decided, well, all right, let's, if I really want to get to know this, I need to go to law school, right? I had a doctor who did that, who was so frustrated with the way that the medical system was and, you know, all of that. This is, and this is, by the way, back in the like 80s, 90s, and he went to law school. So, <laughs> Because he wanted to, and I, I think it's, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody, but it's one way to get really deeply entrenched in something that you really want to help and resolve. Yeah. So I can say, they can say, well, let's just go to court. And I'll say, hold on. I've been in court with a lot of clients and a lot of families. And what I like to tell people is a lot of my cases that went to court the parents can't really talk to each other afterwards. Yes. And in the cases I handled in mediation, the parents can keep talking to each other. So that's why I recommend people really try to stay out of court. But whether people are in court or out, all these different little techniques we find really make it a little less stressful and uh, helpful for them. Well, so let's, so let's get into these techniques because they are, I think, life-changing and brilliant. And so how did you, first, let's start with how did you, we're, we're talking about BIF, which is the method of communication that you have developed um, and written books about. So how did you, how did you develop it? How did it start? Because I think this is a, this is a funny story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, we wrote, I wrote the first BIF book in 2011, but we started doing BIF. It came together in March of 2007, and I, I wrote this story in the beginning of the new book, The Biff for Co-Parent Communication, and I really vividly remember it. So I was giving one of our first High Conflict Institute uh, seminars, and there's about 20 professionals, uh, lawyers, therapists, mediators, and a couple judges. And I remember the judges were sitting in the left-hand side of the room by the window, and in the middle of, I don't know what I was talking about, they raised their hands and said, Bill, what can we do about these awful emails that are going back and forth? And remember, this is just 2007, so it was already happening then. Oh, sure, right? Because email <laughs> was, I mean, this was, it was starting to become the main form of communication at that point, right? Right. So it, it was evolving, and, and by then becoming, yeah, like you said, the main form of yeah. communication. Before that, people used to fax each other <laughs> or even call each other, you 
know. <laughs> right, they used to actually speak. It's amazing, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the benefit of speaking is you don't leave a paper trail. The thing with emails is you leave a horrible paper trail. Right. So what I said to the judge, I said, because I I'd been I, I started practicing in 1993 as a family lawyer and family mediator. And I said, well, you know, I rewrite some of my clients' emails. And the first thing is they got to be brief. It's so important that they're brief because people just put pages and pages and it just doesn't help. <laughs> Even if what you've received is pages and pages, it's better to be brief, like a paragraph, maybe two at the most. And I thought they needed to just be straight information, no opinions, judgments, emotions, defenses, all that stuff. You just don't need that. Just have some a little piece of information. And then they should actually have a friendly tone. Even if what you got was hostile, that your reply you want to have at least a, at a minimum of, le of minimum level of friendliness. So I said that, and they're like writing notes. And they said, oh, that's BIF. And I said, well, yeah, I guess, B-I-F. And they said, oh, well, just add another F and you'll have BIF, like the name, you know, like right. BIF, BIF the character and Back to the Future. And, and you <laughs> see Batman comics, there's BIF pal, all that. It's always two Fs. Right. So I said, well, that's probably easy. There's so many things to think about. And I said, I think firm is probably what the other F should be because you want it to end the conversation. And so when there's hostility at you, pages and pages of hostility, you respond with a paragraph, have a piece of information in it, have it a little bit friendly and have it end the conversation. Yeah. So that's where it started. So and great. I hadn't really thought of it. I hadn't put it together until that question was asked. So then, then of course, there's the funny part. I don't know if I should talk about this in a, a uh, Go for it. Okay. <laughs> if you're questioning it, definitely. <laughs> oh, okay. The juicy so, stuff, why not? So in 2007, I knew I was going to be speaking in 2008 in Australia for the first time. I'd been involved. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh -huh. And so I had another seminar I was giving in uh, 2007, and there was a man there from Australia, and I talked about Biff. And afterwards, he came up to me and he kind of almost whispered and says, Now, Billy, you know, in Australia, a Biff is a fat. And it sounded, I couldn't tell if he said <laughs> fart or fight. And I, at the moment, I, I was in a hurry and I didn't pursue it. But I figured, you know, I better figure it out because in Australia, I don't want to be talking about that. Right. You want to be talking about farting. It doesn't make sense. feel like, why? Yeah. So I get to Australia and I'm on a bus and I see someone reading a paper. And on the paper, the headline says, fans want more biff at games. And I was going, oh, good. That's a fight. That's a fight. <laughs> and they want more of it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so, so Biff is a fight in Australia. And I realized Biff, it's, it's not just Biff, it's Biff response. Uh, yeah. So we're teaching people how to respond. So we called it a Biff response. So in Australia, we say, think of it as Biff response. So you're responding to somebody trying to 
have a fight with you. Right. It actually contextually works in Australia quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we actually uh, trademarked Biff Response in the United States and in Australia. But since then, and when we wrote this book for co-parents, we've, we've shifted from Biff Response so you can initiate the conversation using Biff too. So we call it Biff Communication. Mm-hmm. So that's the long story. If you, want, if you want that, it's in the preface to the book. <laughs> and and it's a and what a great book it is. I cannot recommend this more highly for everyone, I think. You know, even if, even in a non-high conflict divorce and there's so much communication going back and forth. I just think like this is this should be the way people communicate always. All right. So let's let's start talking about what Biff is. But it really is the you're responding, right? Biff, Biff response, right? Often it's used in high conflict situations with someone that you call um, a blame speaker. And so before we get into Biff and and expanding on it, I would love to hear how you define a blame speaker, because I think it's brilliant. Well, it's it's people that put 100% of responsibility on somebody else, probably you, if you're the person they're writing to. Right. And they're taking zero responsibility. And so it's usually, it's all your fault. It's usually highly emotional. And that triggers our defensiveness, of course. And often they'll try to say, well, other people agree with me. So there's like, there's a weight to it. You know, they're like a sledgehammer to it. And it's not unusual that people doing blame speak copy like a dozen or 20 people. I heard a few days ago about someone who copied a hundred people in their nasty email. (laughs) Yeah. Or you post it on Facebook and it's got thousands, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. And that's part of why we put that in the title of the book, Guide to Co-Parent Text, Emails, Social Media Posts. Because that's, that's, there's a temptation and people that do that are often really lacking in skills themselves. And so when you get someone dumping on you like that, and they're giving you all this blame speak, is you go, okay, this is no longer about me. This is really about their lack of skills. So I don't have to be defensive. I'm not going to be changing my life because of what they're saying, because it's their problem not my Mm -hmm. problem, unless there's a safety issue, of course. But usually with emails, it's just a defensive response to that will just spiral downward. So save yourself the trouble. Right. So how do you recognize a blame? Like, what is blame speak? Like, what are the the sort of traits? Well, it's it's often all or nothing. Mm -hmm. It's all your fault. It's highly emotional. It feels like other people agree. Basically, you know in your gut that someone's hitting you with uh, blame speak and all yeah. of that. Right, right. So you talk a little bit in the book about, well, so first of all, I just want to say, address, you know, sometimes people hear these things and they they get these, you know, definitions and then they want to run to the person and be like, I figured it out. You're a blame speaker. Is that a good idea? Not at all. <laughs> don't, don't label your co-parent or anybody else. So there's a lot of terms that are going around. 
today, like narcissists. Don't tell them you think they're a narcissist. Don't tell them you think they're a blame speaker. When someone feels labeled, and this is true for everybody, you feel automatically offended. It's sure. like, well, what gave you the right to label me? And right. so, and especially if it's a negative label, like blame speak is really a negative thing. And, right. and we really want to avoid that. So if you say someone's a blame speaker or someone's a high conflict person or someone has a personality disorder, those kinds of phrases make them more defensive and if they do have a difficult personality, they're going to spend a lot of time defending themselves against you, probably to a hundred people if they can. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, similarly, you know, when I, I work with a lot of women who don't really recognize that what's happening in their marriages is emotional abuse. And the first instinct, right, is to go and tell him, like, no, 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 because if he knew that what he was doing was abusive, surely he would stop, <laughs> right? But it doesn't work that way. And it will have the opposite effect, probably. Yeah, people like this, the, the blamers, the blame speakers, tend to not see their own part in problems. And if you try to point it out to them, not only will they not get it, but they will get defensive and angry back, and it makes things worse. Right. So we tell people, don't label the other person. Talk about problem solving, what you can yes. do now. Yes, perfect. I love it. Um, one of the things you talk about in the book, too, is how like the, the, this, is an this is an increasingly, this is an increasing issue that we're seeing culturally because of reality TV. I would venture to guess, although you don't say it in, you don't say it directly in your book, <laughs> but I would, I would venture to guess a huge increase with the last administration, which I'm very happy is gone. Um, so can you, <laughs> good, we're on the same page about that. I mean, I figured, <laughs> but I mean, there's, is this something that you see way more sort of an increasing over the last five, 10 years? Yes. Certainly with reality TV too, and, right? Mm -hmm. And I actually have uh, support for that. And I take a survey. I, I do training all around the world of, of legal professionals, lawyers, mediators, judges, and therapists, human resources too. So it's workplace as well. And I often take a poll. How many of you see more of this high conflict behavior now than 10 years ago? seeing more now than five years ago and, and hands go up. It's majority of people. And it really, you know, I could talk for hours on why this is, I think, but real briefly, I think you're right that reality TV, just Facebook, the evening news, leadership, celebrities, business leaders, politicians are basically going more and more towards attention-grabbing behavior. And our brains pay a lot more attention when there's conflict. And so we get high-conflict behavior, and suddenly we're paying attention to it. So really, as a society, we're, we're learning. It's a behavior modification, if you look back 10 years that we're slowly focusing more and more on the worst behavior and you get more of what you pay attention to. 
And yeah. so we're getting more and more of this worst behavior. So techniques like BIF are to help turn this around. So when someone hits you with nasty behavior, your temptation is to hit them harder with your nasty behavior. But instead, is pour cold water on the flames and diminish the conflict. And that's what BIF is one of. I mean, you're essentially depriving it of oxygen. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think, I think is really why it works. Right. So, yes. all right. So let's get into BIF and how it works. Yeah. <laughs> so let's break it down. Okay. So first of all, B for brief, mm-hmm. like a paragraph Ideal, most BIF responses are about a paragraph, three to five sentences. Informative, straight information, like the parties at three o'clock to five o'clock, the kids should wear such and such, and here's what they need to bring, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then informative, friendly, is like, thanks for responding to my request, or if it's Friday afternoon, have a good weekend. Something just to give it a little bit of a friendly tone. You don't have to do a lot of super friendly stuff, especially if the other person's kind of yelling at you in all caps. Right. <laughs> friendly doesn't mean friends. It means right. like doesn't respectful. Mean it means respectful and kind. Yeah. Guess, it's, right? it's shifting the tone away from hostility. Mm-hmm. And then the firm is try to end the conversation. There's two ways to do this. One is just, that's all you need to say, and you've said it. Another is if you do need information, is to ask a question that's ideally a yes or no question. So you can say, please let me know by Thursday at five, if I can uh, pick up the kids for this activity. And yes or no. And right. so that really keeps it confined because mm-hmm. where, where email and comments and all that stuff escalates is when it's open-ended and people are just reacting to other people's reactions to other people's reactions. So you're containing it and, and ending it. Right. So a yes or no question is, is, just, is the same. It's just all you need is your yes or no, but you've ended the hostile conversation. That's the goal. Or cleared up misinformation. Even if it isn't hostile, sometimes there's misinformation and just do a biff to clear things up. Now, I can imagine a lot of people listening to this who are in these high conflict situations, they want to be right. They want to set the record straight. Like there's all this stuff that's that's coming at them. And we're asking them to A, be the bigger person, right? in a sense, and to not get in the sand pit and throw back the sand that was just thrown at you. And that takes a lot for someone to do, right? Mm -hmm. And you talk a little bit about the left and right brain and how Mm -hmm. that really comes into play here, because we are, when someone comes at you with such incredible nastiness, calling you names and doing all or nothing, right? You always do this when you know that you don't. Right. It's really hard to not jump in there and like give a tip for tat. Like, well, oh, you think I'm the bad parent? Well, what about when you blah, 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 right? So what does it take to not do that? And why should, why should people not do that? Well, let me start with why they shouldn't do that. Is yeah. It just feeds it and you get more bad stuff and you yeah. feel worse. You feel more angry, more upset. 
So the other person's probably not capable of turning it around and calming it down. So that means you need to. And you're right about the brain. And you can point up, I'm holding up a brain right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> left, and, left and right hemispheres. It's not real, you guys. <laughs> it's, it's plastic. It's a, it's a plastic brain. It's not, it's not a real brain. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Is it abnormal? <laughs> but the, if we think of the left brain as where logical problem solving mostly happens, and that's language, reading, writing, details, etc. And think of the right brain as where it's more relationship-oriented, more protective. That's where a lot of our defensive responses seem to be active. Then, in many ways, high-conflict people blaming and angry and upset are coming out of their right brain and triggering your right brain. But you yourself can, can teach your brain to shift over to problem-solving and give them back problem solving, and that's putting cold water on the flames. So in many ways, I really think that when you write your response, think of it as writing it to their left brain, logical problem solving, rather than to their right brain that wants to fight and defend. So it's, it's a shift. You can't shift somebody else. You can shift yourself, which influences the other person. Right. And you can, and you can, right. And I think the most important thing to do is to pause, right? Because your immediate response is getting back on the keyboard and, you know, and maybe you need to do that, right? Maybe you need to get it all out, but do not send that missive, Right. 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 (laughs) right? But do that in a Word doc, not in an email. People have different strategies. Sometimes if I'm going to do that, is I'll take the name out of the top and right. then I'll write my nasty response. And if I accidentally hit send, it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Or, or you handwrite it. Mm-hmm. And that's fun because you can write big letters and all that. And some people just say, put it in a drawer for 24 hours and then come back. So there's strategies to calm yourself. Because it is upsetting to get a hostile email, especially like you said, people are going through a divorce process. You don't know what's coming next. You've got this coming at you, that. And so just things that help you, you know, put a buffer between you and and the email or whatever it is. Right. Uh, and yes. help you calm down. And I also encourage people to have an encouraging statement as they go through the divorce process or go to meetings or mediations or court hearings is something to tell yourself to calm yourself. So like with these kind of emails is that's about, that's about him, not about me. Mm-hmm. So when he thinks he says, I'm stupid, he's it's because he can't manage talking respectfully. It's not that I'm stupid. Right. And so that's the thing. I, Sometimes, you know, I worked as a therapist with kids and adults, and I like to sometimes think of people as a five-year-old. Just go like, yes, I'm it like is. a five-year-old, yeah. and right. he can't help himself. And so I'm going to be the grown-up here and not respond in kind. Mm-hmm. I'm going to respond logically in the adult mode. And I find that helpful. 
I liken it with my clients when, especially because I help, I often help women through the conversation of telling their spouse that they want a divorce, right? That's my, it's one of the things that I help women you with. And play that. You play I that. do. Excellent. And I, Excellent. yeah. And Excellent. one of the things I say is that he's probably going to respond like a toddler yeah. and the conversation, you know, the, and it, and it really is actually a Biff, a Biff conversation because what I talk about is controlling the narrative and that like, you're just here to, in, to inform him of this piece of information and he's going to want to go here and he's going to want to go there. And he's going to want to like talk about how and when, and like the logistics and that's not for this conversation. And so it really is like you're having a conversation with a toddler who doesn't want to put on their shoes and go to school. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. right. Like I understand this is hard for you to hear. I know that you don't want to go to school right now. And this is, this is where we're at. Right. Good. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it is. I love that. But it's like, a, it is like having a conversation with a five-year-old. <laughs> totally. And, and, and you mentioned something and that is you can use Biff verbally as well, uh-huh. especially if you think ahead. So you can go, what, what information do I need to get across? How can I do it with a friendly tone and then end the conversation? Yeah, role playing it with you is a great approach. Yeah, it's super it. helpful. It's super helpful because yeah. we get into like, well, what do you what do you think he's going to say? You know him. You've been married to him for a decade. Hey, like, yeah. right? What do you think he's going to say? Yeah. I think he's going to react this way, right? And okay, great. So now we can craft that exactly. response. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there, you now you also there are three things that you should avoid in a biff communication that you talk about the three A's. A's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes it easy to remember. So advice and there's a real temptation. Someone says, you're doing it wrong. And this is how you should do it. So you want to respond. Listen to me, buddy. This is how you should do it. Let me give you some advice. Right. (laughs) Here's how you should parent. (laughs) Right. And when people are using blame speak with you, they're not interested in your advice. In their eyes, it's all your fault. So you don't want to slip into that. Uh, People are offended or just reject it out of hand. And what's interesting, this is outside of the divorce setting, is where I've coached people where they want to give the most advice is parents of young adult children, like in their early 20s. Mm, Oh, yeah. And they send things to each other. Johnny, let me give you some advice. And Johnny writes back, Mom, get off my back. Let me give you some advice. And (laughs) telling them both, no advice. Just cut to the chase. What's the information? Yep. So advice isn't, isn't helpful. Admonishments, that's the next A. Admonishments are talking down to the other person, like a child or like a judge might talk to a person in court. And so if you admonish somebody, it's like, let me, let me remind you. That's a, that's a sign of preparing to admonish somebody. Don't do that. Right. Occasionally, lawyers do that in their correspondence with each other, which I also try to coach them on for Biff. But it, it, if you admonish the other person, you're just triggering more resentment more upset. But here's the one that's most confusing in a way, and that is we try to avoid apologies. Mm. And this is kind of the opposite of what you would think, because apologies help resolve a lot of disputes. But 
if you're dealing with an angry person, a blaming person, a quote, high conflict person, they tend to see things as all or nothing. And so like part of blame speak, as I said, is all or nothing accusations. And so if you say, I'm sorry, I, I didn't return the form in time or something like that, something really small. Mm-hmm. What they hear is you agree it's all your fault and they'll save that and they'll put that in their pocket the next time they have a difficult conversation or when they go to their lawyer or you're in a mediation and they'll pull that. Remember when you said it was your fault? Right. <laughs> I've, had that. I've had that as a mediator. I've had people pull out papers like that. And I know it was an abusive, like I'll give you an example, an abusive situation. Guy pulls out this note. So remember when you admitted it's all your fault? See, this says, you know, I'm sorry I don't clean house better. I'm sorry I don't cook better. I'm sorry. And what they heard was that the person agreed it was all their fault. Well, you and I know they were trying to calm down an out of control person by saying, I'm sorry. Right. But the trouble is, it gets it reinforces their thinking. So just skip apologies in a BIF response. There may be a time and a place, but not in your BIF response. And let me suggest that sometimes people say, well, I'm sorry you're in that situation or something. Or I'm sorry that didn't work out for you. I suggest that you replace sorry with saddened. Say, I'm saddened to see you're in this situation. I'm saddened that that didn't work out for you. That way you're not apologizing or sounding like it, and yet you're showing some empathy for them. Yeah. So that's kind of a way around that. And explaining, you know, we have in the book we examples where someone says, oh, I forgot to tell you such and such. You're right. I forgot to tell you such and such. Without saying, I'm sorry, you're giving them the information or somebody wasn't there and now I have it. So make it providing information, not apologizing. You can take responsibility without apologizing. Yes. And I think, and I think this is really especially hard for people who have been married to high conflict people because often they have been emotionally abusing them for, for years and so the victim of that abuse has, you know, been trained to apologize and to, and to walk on eggshells and to be scared and to try and like, and so this is particularly difficult, I think, for people who are in this situation. Yeah. yeah. And also particularly important for them. Yes, because the more you say, I'm sorry to an abusive person, the more you believe you've done something wrong. Exactly. And so much better to give information. I did make that phone call or here is the information or I didn't have it yesterday, but now I have it. So all of these things that are problem solving information are the way to approach it. And you get the person's left brain thinking about it. And that's where you want them to be. Right. So left and right brain are an absolute, but it's, it just gives you an idea sure. to steer your conversation. Give Focus it on information and apologies. Focus it on it's your bad and 
that's not that's not helpful when you're dealing with blame speak. Right. And, and, you know, you talk about in the book, you give some examples of this in the book that, which one of the things I want to point out about the book is that it has almost every example you could possibly think of in every category. It actually gives examples of how to have conversations about all of these topics, which is just great. And one of the examples that you give is like, even if you forget a pickup or, you know, you really do something that is quote wrong right? Even then to not say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I did that, or oh my God, I'm so sorry. Now, which I would do with my ex because that's, nobody's going to turn that around on anything with me, right? He's not going to make that a global diagnosis of my parenting. He's just going to say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No problem. But in a high conflict case, what is the response to something that you really did screw up? Yeah, is to say I I well I think I think I actually have an example that might might help with this. Let me see if I you got do in the book something yeah. handy. So well, I, I have somebody forgot to tell somebody about a doctor's appointment for the child, and so they get yelled at about that in bold letters, written written yelling, right, <laughs> and they say. Oh, I thought I had told you, I'll make sure that to tell you in the future, something like that. And that's, that's all you need to know. Here's what the problem was. Here's the solution. And that way you skip making it into like a one down position. Like I did something terrible. Yeah. Because people forget things. And so you can say, I forgot. I thought I told you, but apparently I didn't. And I'll make sure to tell you in the future. Right. And it's human nature to want to say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I totally spaced on putting that on the calendar. But yeah. this is not what you would do in a normal, non-abusive, non-high conflict relationship. But you just have to remember that that's not what this is. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's really it's protecting yourself while still communicating and respecting the other person. Yeah. Yep. So important. So. You do talk about sometimes there there is a, there are some situations where no response is the right response, right? Sometimes you don't actually have to respond. So what measures that? Yeah. So the things that we recommend weighing are, first of all, have other people seen this? Because if other people have seen this, they've copied it to 20 people, we generally recommend that you do respond. And by the, say, by the way, when I say we, I had two co-authors with this book, Annette Burns, a lawyer, and Kevin Chafin, a therapist. But we recommend that you do respond so none of those 20 people think you've done something wrong mm-hmm. so that you can just clear that up. And you might just say, here's a private issue that you've been copied on and you don't need to respond. And if you have any questions, let me know. That way, you're not defensive, and you don't have to go into the details. You're just saying, if you have a concern, let me know. And that sounds confident. And that sounds like if there is a concern, they'll call you. But let me tell you, no one wants to get involved with somebody else's high-conflict divorce. It's like, oh, good. Oh, good. She said that there's not a problem, and she's dealing with it. So I'm really off the hook. Yeah. (laughs) And there's no judgment in there. But if you don't respond, they go, huh, I wonder if she really did that. 
awful thing that he says she did. So that's, that's a nice way to respond without getting into the details or making it worse. Mm-hmm. So were other people included? Also, if it's going to be a legal issue, like here's an email that's going to end up in court, then you need to get your response so that ends up in court too. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you that BIF responses look a whole lot better in court than nasty emails. Yeah. See judges. Actually, I think there was a judge in Florida ordered people to communicate using the BIF method. And I, I t- teach it to judges and they encourage people to use it. So if it's going to be included in a legal case, if it's going to other people, but if it's just between the two of you and it's unlikely to be going anywhere else, there's some that you could just ignore. Now, sometimes you feel like you need to give a BIF response. You give your BIF response. The other person comes back anyway and says, well, you know, hi, Ms. High and Mighty, you're not reacting and, and trying to make me look like the bad guy. Well, you're the bad guy. And here's why. And then you can just say everything on this topic I said in the email of yesterday at 8 a.m. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And if they come back a third time, you don't need to respond because you already said everything I need to say I've said. Yeah. And I think Biff, Biff responses, this is a boundary. This is, this is boundary work. And yeah. this is what we mean when we talk about setting boundaries, right? And yeah. when you first start setting boundaries, people don't like it. Right. And their first response is to push back. So if you have always engaged with a high conflict person's high conflict communication, and suddenly you stop, it's confusing and they're going to push back on it because they're like, is that, what, what's going on? This is not the dynamic I'm used to. So it takes a few times before that becomes, before they stop pushing against it. Yes. Right? yes. And it's, it's good to prepare yourself for that. Mm-hmm. So that you word things in a way that's pretty well contained. And if they do come back, your next response is shorter. And after that, you don't respond at all. I've, I've had situations where I've told people there's no need for us to communicate further. And after the first of the month, I will not be responding at all. Now, that's, that's a, a work situation, not, not a, a divorce situation. Mm-hmm. But that's really setting a limit, as you said. Mm-hmm. Or I will not respond further on that issue or that topic. And I then know. they come back. Uh, with that, and you don't need to respond. Or maybe they forgot and a month ago you said, I'm not discussing that further. Then all you need to say now is, as I mentioned in January, I, I won't be discussing that further. Um, right. Have a good weekend. And that's reinforcing a boundary, right? Because yes. when you set a boundary, people want to cross it. It's not like, oh, he has no respect for my boundaries. Like, no, of course he doesn't, <laughs> right? But do you? But do you have, yes, exactly. And do you have respect for your own boundaries such that you're willing to set them over and over again? Yes, yes. And that's people forget. They think it's a switch. Oh, well, I already flicked that switch. Right. No, you've got to reinforce it and reinforce It's a training. In many ways, this is like going back to a five-year-old or a toddler. Um, exactly. And we're all like that. Our brains are made that way. Is we don't shift gears easily. 
Right. It takes practice. It takes practice. And what do you mean you're not going to give me a cookie after dinner? I, you've always given me cookies after dinner. <laughs> so I'm going to keep asking for the cookie after dinner because you always give it to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're sort of crafting your Biff response, what questions should you be asking yourself so that you can, when you're writing it, like when you're crafting this response, are there questions that you should be asking yourself? Yeah. And, and it's, we basically have 10 questions. Put it in the book as, as coaching, trying to see. Yeah, coaching questions. So if you're coaching someone else, and we find that once people learn BIF, they often teach like a, another family member or coworker, and that's fine. But ask yourself these 10 questions. So the first four are obvious. Is it brief? Is it informative? Is it friendly? Is it firm? Mm -hmm. Then ask the three A's. Is there advice? Is there admonishments? Are there any apologies? So now you've got seven. Then the eighth question is, how do you think the other person's going to respond to this? And you go, oh, there's a sentence in there that's not going to go over well. All right. And then the ninth question is, is there anything that I would change now? And the tenth is, can I get another set of eyes to look at this? And if you're working with a counselor or a coach, that you could you could be their other set of eyes. Absolutely. And what's what's ironic, I, I tell you this quick story is when I was representing people in court, I had a client once who I was getting ready to, and he was, had been in a high conflict divorce. And I was sending a letter to the lawyer for the other party, his wife or ex-wife. And I sent him a copy just saying, is there anything that I need to add to this letter? And he calls me up and he says, Bill, there's a sentence in here. If I had written it, you would tell me to take it out. <laughs> and I looked and I go, oh my goodness, you're right. I, I didn't catch myself and my client caught, caught it for me. So that's why I say another set of eyes. It doesn't necessarily have to be any kind of an expert, just another set of eyes may be really helpful. And of course, as a divorce coach, you can be that other set of eyes. I often am, but this, yeah. but this framework is so incredibly helpful. Yeah. So incredibly and, and, helpful. And by asking yourself these things, people can learn to do the method and it gets easier and easier because it's not easy at first, even though it sounds like it. Right. No, it's not easy. And, and I, and I think, I think it's important that, that we say that, that yeah. this is not easy because everything in you wants to fight back. Your immediate response is that you want to fight back. You want to set the record straight. You want it right. But in the long term. This is how you are separating out this relationship by no longer, look, I always say that like, if you're going to divorce this person, like divorce them, <laughs> because if you're going to divorce them, but then continue the relationship dynamic that you have had for the last 10, 20 years, then you're not, you're not divorcing them. You're perpetuating the relationship the way that it was, right? So this is a way for you to not do that, but it, but it is hard and it takes something. Yeah. And the biggest thing is, is to let yourself leave stuff out. It's harder. The, the hardest thing about this is not putting in those the sentences you just said. Yeah. The defensive, angry, et cetera ones. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. So the book 
the book for everybody is Biff for Co-Parent Communication. I don't know why I'm showing it. Not like anyone can see this, but um, Your Guide to Difficult Co-Parent Texts, Emails, and Social Media Posts. And there we go. Bill and I both have, have the book up. It is, you guys, it's the Bible. It is the Bible. If you are in any kind of high conflict situation, you need this book. Um, if you're in a co-parenting. Now, if you're if it's not co-parenting, but it is high conflict, get the other one, the original Biff book, because <laughs> that has that covers all the other stuff. And there we go. And I have mine over here. So, Bill, where can people find you and learn more about your work and your other books? You've written a ton of books. Well, all the books are on Amazon. And so you can go there. You can actually put in my name and there's a whole page that's got got my books. Also, highconflictinstitute.com is a lot of resources that we have there. And we also have a new website called conflictplaybook.com. Oh. And it has, it has our parenting online method, uh, new ways for families online, which is a great method. It's 12 sessions that people can take at relatively low cost. So just come to either one of those websites, and we have a lot of videos people can uh, pay to watch and free articles. So if you want free stuff, look for the articles. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, like the High Conflict Institute website is just a, a wealth of information. I highly, highly recommend it. I'm going to go check out the, con- the conflictplaybook.com too. That sounds yeah. Let me oh let me also mention consultation. So I'm okay. I'm doing I'm no longer representing people in court, no longer doing mediation, but I am doing consultation. So I'll spend an hour helping develop strategy. I meet nowadays by Zoom with individuals and their lawyers in developing strategy for high conflict divorces. And sometimes people really want help wording a bit. I have lawyers, therapists, mediators asking me, what do you think of this BIF response? And I coach them with that. So we do a, do a lot of consultation too. And that's a, often a one shot, one hour, but can give a lot of uh, strategies in that. That is so important and so good to know. <laughs> so thank you so much, Bill. I so appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom and this book, which is should be everybody's Bible for high conflict communication. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.